0: Ancient Celtic Druids based their holidays on the Wheel of the Year. The Celtic year was divided into two halves, the light and the dark. Within the halves, there would be four fire festivals. Samhain was the name of the fire festival that marked the beginning of the dark half of the year. During Samhain, it is said that the world of the gods and goddesses is made visible and spirits from the other world return to earth. To keep these spirits happy, the Celts would put offerings and sacrifices outside of the town for their enjoyment. The people would wear skins and costumes of animals to confuse the spirits from knowing who is who in case they had a beef with someone. Bonfires would be made, and the shamanic druid priests would give psychic readings to the people. Often, during this time, monsters and demonic spirits would come by and, you know, kill and kidnap people. There was Puka, who was a shape-shifting creature, typically rabbit-like or horse-like. There was Lady Wynne, who was a headless woman who chased people around with her trusty demonic black pig. The Dulahan, which you might uh, recognize better as the Headless Horseman, would carry his head and ride a black horse with deep red eyes. And if you saw him, that was a death omen. Then there was the fairy host, which was a group of fairy hunter spirits who kidnapped people. Generally, people feared the spirits, and for good reason. But as time went on, people became enthralled with spirits, the occult, Gnosticism, Wicca, and so on. In the Middle Ages, dumb supper came about where people would leave all the doors and windows open for the spirits to come in and take part in the feast. Children would play games to entertain the spirits, and the family would update the invisible visitors on how life was. Mumming came out of that, which was caroling door-to-door on Samhain to entertain the spirits who were participating in Dumb Supper. In return, cakes would be given to those carolers. Put it all together, and you can see where we get our modern, secular holiday, Halloween. I got a great show for you guys today. I'll tell you all about the Druids of California. I'll give you stories of Dire Lane and its true history. We'll look into the esoteric fraternity up there in Applegate and check in on the Bohemian Grove near San Francisco. Then we'll travel all the way up to Seattle for a mass murder story, plus some other cool stuff. Sit back, relax, and get ready to learn
1: this is ricky's historical tidbits podcast and this is ricky mortensen
0: every time i have driven around or through plasterville there's a strange pillar in the middle of the street with what looks to be a flame on top one day while driving by i noticed on uh, on the thing that there's a plaque that says druids of california i don't know about you I never heard of a druid, but it sounded kind of weird. I don't think much about it. But then I heard a preacher mention druids one day, and I remembered that pillar. I still never looked into it. I didn't care that all, all that much, just a passing curiosity, you know? And I bet at least one of you have at least been curious if you've seen it. And those that haven't are at least slightly intrigued now that I mentioned it. So I spent a few hours researching all that I could for you, and here's the story. The pillar is a memorial to a guy who was the man who successfully brought Druidism to the state of California. His name was Frederick Sieg, a German who immigrated to the states and lived in St. Louis, where he was introduced to the ideas of Druidism. He eventually caught gold fever and moved to California. He slaved away as a miner for a little bit until he settled over in Hangtown placerville in placerville he made it his mission to bring the united ancient druid order to fruition in california two other people have tried once in sacramento and once in san francisco but there wasn't so much interest and in sacramento in particular they had a big fire which spread the potential members in all directions frederick did well and got a whole two people on board Soon, more, until there was enough demand that he had made two more groves, which is the Druid's name for meeting place. One in Coloma and the other in San Francisco. Now, the pillar monument was installed back in 1926, 38 years after Frederick's death. On the pillar, there's a Druidic emblem, which in their words, quote, shows a flaming pyre surmounted by a crossed spear and a long-handled sickle, oaks, mistletoe, daffodil, and the all-seeing eye in the triangle. End quote. So that answers what the heck the thing is, but begs another question. What's a druid? Well, that depends on 10 billion different things. Druidism isn't like other religions, where they all believe the same general thing with some differences within denominations based on theology. Druids are like snowflakes. No two are alike. There's even a difference in whether it's a religious druid or a social druid. But generally speaking, druids are a secret society like the Freemasons. They have similar rituals and beliefs and can be religious or more social based on the grouping. The kind that the pillar in Placebo memorializes is more of the social club type. They are like um, the Rotary Club, in a way, from what I was able to figure out. But there are very different kinds of druids. Historically, they were cannibalistic mass murderers. In fact, the Burning Man over in Nevada kind of takes place after the practice the Druids would do. Druids would build a massive cage in the form of a man out of wicker and fill it with people to sacrifice, and would light them all on fire. They would grab as many criminals as they could, but if they needed to throw innocent people in there to fill it up, they would. Modern religious Druidism is essentially New Age and Wiccan. Most are pantheists, meaning they believe their gods and goddesses are in everything— Many believe in reincarnation, similar to the Hindu, but in particular, they believe souls are not unique and that once a person dies, they are reborn in the other world. And then when they would die in the other world, they're born in this world, whether that be as a human or some kind of animal. For example, they have a a record of a guy named Tuan Macoriel, who they say lived a hundred years a man. 300 a deer 300 a boar 300 a bird and 300 a salmon but other records show he lived 100 years a man 20 a hog 30 a stag 100 an eagle and 30 a fish simply put druidism in terms of ancient times was a pagan religion very schematic secretive it takes about 12 to 15 years to become a druid and they have hardly any verifiable history about them Druids were written about in literature in medieval times, both in a positive and negative light. But historically, Julius Caesar is quoted as saying that the Druids were in charge of public and private sacrifices, they refused to pay taxes, and were pacifists. The Druids say that they built the Stonehenge, but there's no telling if that's true or not. But let's go back to the pillar. These Druids, from what I could tell, have nothing to do with the religious type. 1781, in London, a social club for men formed and was called the Ancient Druidic Order. They operated secretly, as the other clubs in those days did, and as time went on, the organization split into two, creating the United Ancient Druidic Order in 1833. This offshoot then made its way to Boston and then to St. Louis, where Frederick Sieg became a member. The religious druids claim Merlin as one of theirs, as you could figure, but the social club kind of druid from England has their own celebrity, Sir Winston Churchill. Now you know what that pillar is, who memorializes the history and the distinction of which kinds of druids, but one thing I should point out, just because there's a distinction doesn't mean a person can't be a member of both. Late at night, it is said that you can find
1: druids gathering
0: at that pillar. I'll be back after this short commercial.
1: Into the deepest jungles went Pressman toy makers looking for something new. The secret they brought back for you is incredible. The Pressman Witch Doctor Head Shrinkers Kit. Plastic flesh, mixing cauldron, and petrifying potion. Just pour it into the mold, and in minutes you can add monster hair. Paint it with a coloring kit included, or make up your own decorations. In 24 hours, the heads shrink, shrink down. Now, shrunken heads for all occasions. Collect them, swap them, give them to your witch doctor friends. You can always cook up more with Pressman's Witch Doctor Head Shrinkers Kit.
0: Some of you guys send me things to check out, read, and to add to my enormous list of people and topics to cover in future podcasts. I do this show in my downtime, which there isn't much of, which is why I don't post episodes often or keep much of a schedule. Well, back when I was doing the episode on Eclampus Vitus, I was messaged about a group called Esoteric Fraternity. I added it to my list and I chose it for one of the stories for this episode. So what the heck is the esoteric fraternity. Some would say it was and is some kind of new age Christian science sex cult. Members, of course, would argue. So let's dive on in. There was once a man named Hiram Arastris Butler. He was in the Union Army during the Civil War, building roads and bridges for the cause of the North. He was stationed at a hospital where he met a gal, and they got married. And as soon as she bore him two children, he went to go get some milk at the store and must have forgot that he had two kids and a wife because they never saw him again. After that, he worked at a sawmill for a little while until he lost three of his fingers, one for each of the people he deserted, I guess. After this, he went into the woods for 14 years. Some records say only 40 days, so I'm not sure which— Either way, he appeared in Boston, announcing that he was a prophet of occult wisdom, and he was now calling himself Adhe Apaka, the Hellenic Ethnomedon. Yeah. He was a student of the Hermetic Brotherhood of Luxor, and also Pascal Beverly Randolph, who taught sex, magic rituals, for a higher consciousness and spiritual knowledge, which is also who inspired famed occultist Aleister Crowley. Mr. Butler eventually came to the conclusion that semen retention and celibacy was the way to heightened consciousness and immortality, which is interesting because his group initiated women often, which the initiation <clears throat> wasn't very celibate. The Boston Herald reported in 1889 this. The full secrets of the inner circle, as the grade which students reached after a course of study was termed, will probably never be told to the public. And if all is said about this ring is true, a description could not be printed in any newspaper. One married lady of social prominence in the city studied at the college believing its theories of occultism to be thoroughly trustworthy. After a course of investigation, she was believed to be worthy of introduction to the inner circle and was told to prepare herself for initiation. She claims that she was compelled to submit indignities on the part of persons connected with the college, both by physical and psychological power being told that such work was necessary to free her soul from the bondage of evil passions. The lady finally became so disgusted that she resigned from the college and its inner circle and devoted herself to her home. But a short time afterward, her husband's suspicions were aroused in a startling manner, and his discoveries led her into a confession. The husband was almost heartbroken at the statement of his wife's unfaithfulness, And his his first thought was to shoot the professor, Butler, who was calling himself Professor Hiram Butler. Friends, however, advised him not to do so, as justification would be hard to prove before a jury. And it was thought that the offender would be reached through court. Two papers were then made against him, and one on a criminal uh, charge of adultery, and the other on a civil suit for alienating the affections of the wife but the suits were ultimately not brought. One young woman has said that after being prayed over for three or four days, she was told to be ready to receive a visit from the master Om in the astral body, he having journeyed from the Himalaya mountains especially to purify her. She was instructed to perfume her body with scented oil and wrap herself in a long winding sheet, then pray unceasingly for delivery from passion— Perhaps the first night, she was told, the master would not appear, but on the second, a man of extremely venerable appearance would enter the room, and after he should converse and pray with her, she was to give herself up to the spirits. It is now reported that Professor Hiram Erestris Butler has left Poston for parts unknown. The parts unknown was the Bay Area. He was found running some store in Oakland, which the story still followed him. The local newspaper published this piece. A professional hypnotizer who was run out of Boston last year and a man possessing an occult influence over weak-minded young men and women who is using his magic powers under the guise of a species of theosophy to secure funds which he promises to build an esoteric college in the Santa Cruz Mountains— How well he is succeeding, no one knows, but Butler declares he has at least 500 converts in San Francisco. Famous mystic Helena Blavatsky said he was no better than a cheap pseudo-spiritual hustler, then went on to accuse him of um, siring astral plane children. Whatever the heck that means. In truth, Mr. Butler only had about 12 or so in his circle he and his group bought a bunch of land over in Applegate, California, to build their self-sufficient monastic community commune. There, they built themselves a nice big 18-room, four-story house a fruit business and the esoteric publishing company. They put out a bunch of books and a magazine. One of the books, Solar Biology, was the most popular and is where we get our modern astrology from. Those horoscopes that you hear people talking about, what sign they are and why a particular sign is why they're annoying, is based on this guy's book. He believed he was a reincarnation of somebody and was one of the chosen to be uh, part of the Order of Melchizedek. The 144,000, just like him, would bring about the kingdom of God on Earth. And though he believed or claimed to believe that being celibate would grant immortality and higher consciousness, he died at the age of 75. I'll be back after this.
1: I failed again. How about these, Master? Hi there, my name how are you today? Fine. Well, then, I would like to Teddy about the world's first animated storytelling band. It's alive! Now available at stores everywhere. It's
0: <laughs> I grew up in Antelope, California, and if you know where that even is, you'll know about the road I'm about to talk about. For those that don't know, Antelope is a suburb near Sacramento. Uh, the road is known for being creepy, having weird things happening, and being dangerous at night. It's off the beaten path, unkempt, and covered in graffiti. This road has many rumors spread about it. Some may be true, some may not. As a Christian, I try to stay away from all demonic places and things, but I know many people enjoy entertaining spirits. Back in high school, a friend of mine with some of his friends on homecoming night drove down this road and pulled out a Ouija board. They did some kind of whatever, and soon... One of the girls started screaming. She unzipped the back of her dress to reveal her back, all of a sudden, had a bunch of deep scratches, some of which were bleeding. Now, I have no proof that that story is even true. They told me about it and I never forgot. But the scratching is a very interesting aspect because that is a commonly reported event that happens there. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. The road I speak of is Dire Lane. Rumor or truth? You decide. Back in 1932, there was about six witches in the area who would gather out in the field near this road and do spells or whatever. A group of boys followed them and were watching for a chance to pounce. They got two of the witches and raped them. The other witches ran away to get the cops and as they did so, cursed the boys. One boy after raping strangled his victim to death. The other threw a rock at her head and killed her. Within three weeks, one of the boys was hit by a truck and killed. Four months later, another of the boys was mugged and stabbed to death in L.A. The third boy was drowned in the river. The fourth died skiing down a hill and hitting a tree. Then there's the story of the police car. It is said that on the road at night, you'll see a cop pull up behind you, flashes lights, You pull over, and it suddenly vanishes. Another story is that back in 1854, the KKK in the area would use the fields near Dyer Lane to burn the crosses and hang people. They say at night, you might see white hoods in the field in a circle and a man hanging from the tree. Then we get back into the scratching I mentioned before. Back in 1967, there was a satanic cult who would go out into the field near Dyer Lane. They wanted to summon a demon that they worshipped who was called Amducius. They kidnapped a girl named Lynn, who was one of the sisters of uh, the, one of the members, and they sacrificed her, stabbing her in the chest while chanting something to summon Amducius. The demon appeared, and soon a bunch of the members died of weird causes. One... Was found with a slit throat at a park bench. But from then on, if you ever heard chanting late at night out on Dire Lane, you might just get some deep scratches from what seemed to be a three clawed creature. A couple years later, in 1969, a hitchhiker guy was out near Dire Lane camping. All of a sudden, he heard chanting and he started screaming. And had some sort of seizure. And as he was convulsing, people heard the screams and came to see what was going on. And as he laid there convulsing on the road, he, he just screamed, the chanting, the chanting. And then he died. Believe what you want. I think the cult story may be true. But the rest, probably not. But here's the absolute truth of this road. Back in 1854, there was a man named John Dyer and his wife. Julia Dyer, who had just come to California from Missouri. They started a ranch and lived the pioneer rancher life until they died. Their son took over the ranch and sold it to Mr. Riolo, which might ring a bell for those that know Cook-Riolo Road. That's all. That's for true. The rest is up to you. Real quick, I wanted to mention something that was brought to my attention by one of you guys, and this is not sponsored in any way. In Auburn, there's a post office known as Station A. It has been recognized as the oldest operating post office this side of Mississippi. Mail started to be delivered to Auburn in 1849. A post office was created in 1853, which moved to this particular building in the late 1870s. Then, back in September of this year, 2023, it closed up for good. The family, who runs the key shop and more in Rio Linda, just bought it and have been fighting the post office to keep all the historical parts intact. From what I hear, they won the right to keep the 1870s installed P.O. boxes, but they had to get rid of the sign out front. They're doing a soft opening today, the day I post this podcast, October 31st, 2023. So if you are in need of a P.O. box in the Auburn area, consider supporting this family-owned business. Get a cool P.O. box, not the ugly modernist one the government-run post office would give you. The Key Shop and More, Station A, 1583 Lincoln Way in Old Town, Auburn.
1: You're listening to Ricky's Historical Tidbits Podcast. Here's your host, Ricky Mortensen. you are going to keep this
0: story short because you can go down all kinds of conspiratorial rabbit holes, and this is a history show. As you know, there's all kinds of secret societies. One you may have heard of, kind of made famous by Alex Jones back in 2000 when he snuck in and made a documentary about it. I'm talking about the Bohemian grove but let's stick with the historical facts over monte rio california about 75 miles north of san francisco is a campground that stretches about 2700 acres every july there's a two-week campout where the 2000 plus members and their guests meet up and hang out back in the day when it started it was simply a going away party for some stage actor who was heading to new york in 1878 but the hundred or so artists and actors enjoyed it so much that they made it a yearly deal. Soon, some businessmen came along and financed it and bought the property over in the woods, which is when it exploded into a secret society where top executives of companies and pre-present and past presidents would come and get drunk and do weird stuff. Basically, it's... um. It's Burning Man or a frat party for the rich. And since it's secrets and no cameras or phones are allowed, there's hardly any evidence to haunt them in the future. Rich, powerful men in drag wouldn't exactly be good press, you know? Some big deals and projects came from the connections made there. You know, like uh, Reagan promising Nixon to not challenge him in the primary, or the Manhattan Project, which was thought up there, the or Walt Disney, who was a guest one year. Uh, parts of Snow White was inspired by his experiences there. But now the creepy part. The big shebang on the first Saturday there is the cremation of care ceremony, which Simply put, is a reenactment of child sacrifice to a god like Moloch. Their idol is a 30-foot owl, which they burn, a child-sized effigy, and the members all cheer. Here are some clips from the Alex Jones recording, which was admitted by the Bohemian Club to be authentic.
1: Hail Fellowship's eternal flame! Once again... Midsummer sets
0: us free. Other than that, all kinds of little plays, speeches, and so on is made. And like I said before, it seems to me to be a burning man for the rich and powerful who don't want photo or video footage of what they do when drunk at night. Connections are made, deals are drawn, but officially the motto is Weaving spiders come not here, meaning no business deals. Either way, it's a secret what goes on behind the scenes. The deals that were made and what has come out from these campouts the patron saint for them is the man named John of Nepomuk, who was executed by a Bohemian monarch when he refused to tell the secrets of the Queen.
1: Lego, my new blueberry Ego waffle. Lego, my Ego. Ego was the first to create blueberry flavor frozen waffles, and I must have them all. <laughs> Lego, my Ego. Four important vitamins and iron, just like in regular Ego waffles. So, Lego, my new blueberry Ego. Lego, my Ego. Go put on your jammies.
0: As some of you know, back in 2020, I left California. So this last story is local for me here in Seattle, Washington. Quacks have been around forever. Past, present, and future. We will always have quacks. Hopefully, as individuals, we all make the right decision to not follow these people. But just as there are quacks, there are ducklings that follow the quack wholeheartedly, even when it hurts them. So here's the story of an evil, sadistic woman named Linda Hazard. There was a lady who was living somewhere in Minnesota, married with two kids, where she got the idea to become some sort of um, dietician in Minneapolis. So she abandoned her family. She set up a practice without a license and had a patient come in for treatment. Her treatment was a cure-all for all kinds of disease imaginable. A fast. Which, fasting isn't bad for you. Religious fasting has been practiced forever. But you can overdo it. Which is what Dr. Hazard promoted. Her first victim arrived at the coroner and he deemed the cause of death to be starvation. Tried to have Dr. Hazard prosecuted, but couldn't legally for some weird reason. She and her newfound husband fled to Washington State, where she set up shop yet again. Her first Washington patient was a lady named Daisy Maud Hagland, who had stomach cancer and thought Dr. Hazard could heal it. Instead, Mrs. Haglin starved to death within a few weeks, leaving behind her husband and three-year-old son, Ivor, who, by the way, is the Ivor of Ivor's Fish and Chips here in Seattle. After that, more and more people flocked to have the miracle cure treatment by Dr. Hazard, and sure enough, most of those that signed up for it died. But not only that, She would form the autopsies in a bathtub and deem the cause of death other things like liver cirrhosis or whatever. But there's more. These people, for some reason, would sign away their estate, give power of of, of, of attorney, and rights to their bodies after death to Dr. Hazard. The famous victims of this quack were two hypochondriac British sisters, Dorothy and Claire. They were all into alternative medicine and, though had nothing wrong with them, chose to put their lives in the hands of Dr. Linda Hazard. The sisters came from British Columbia to Seattle and met up with Dr. Hazard, who put them up in some apartment near downtown in the Capitol Hill neighborhood they were put on a two cups of tomato broth a day diet daily hours long enemas in a bathtub, which would have a canvas support for when they would faint and would be given long um, massages, beatings, including on the forehead where Dr. Hazard would scream, eliminate, eliminate. Within two months They were both around 70 pounds, and one of them supposedly wrote a letter to their childhood nanny, who was in Australia at the time, and the letter made absolutely no sense. So the nanny traveled across the globe to Seattle to find out what was going on. By the time she got there, Claire had died, and Dorothy was 50 pounds, deemed insane and essentially a zombie. Here's the before and after ever. While checking on Dorothy, she saw other zombified people hobbling around, begging for food and to be rescued. Get me out of here! Which apparently some of these inmates, I mean, I mean patients, would walk down the road and beg neighbors for help and food. And they wouldn't help. Because they were afraid of Dr. Hazard. You see, Dr. Hazard was a very scary lady. And she was really into the occult. So people said that she was hypnotizing these people to starve themselves to death. And more so, sign away all their rights and estates to Hazard. And they didn't want that to happen to themselves. The nanny tried to take Dorothy away, but was denied. She went and got the girl's uncle, who was forced to pay $1,000 and was not able to retrieve Uh, what was signed away, but they got uh, Dorothy. After she was rescued, they went and got the British vice consul, and they set out to get Hazard convicted. And as they did their research for this case, they discovered a whole lot more deaths that could be linked back to Hazard, at least 12 proven, and who knows the true number, probably north of 40, including one suicide. Hazard was arrested in 1911. During the trial, Mr. Hagland, the father of Ivor and husband of Daisy, who was the first uh, Washington death, came to support Dr. Hazard during the trial and even admitted to having taken little Ivor to Hazard three times a week for treatments, even after his wife died. Convicted in 1912, she was sent to do hard labor in Walla Walla, Washington. But luckily for her, the frickin' governor of Washington pardoned her and told her to flee to New Zealand, which she did. And guess what she did in New Zealand? She starved more people, got found out, and returned to Washington in 1920. What do you think happened in Washington? hmm? You guessed it. She opened up a sanitarium in a small secluded town called Olala, across the sound from Seattle and operated it for 15 more years, killing who knows how many more people because she had an incinerator on site until the place burned down. Three years after it burned down, she got sick in her 70s and starved herself to death.
1: Igor, go and get me what I crave. If you want a better orange soda, made with more natural orange flavor than ever before, try Shasta. It's got the bright color, the sweet smell, and the great taste of oranges. Shasta. It's the orange soda that can make anybody happy.
0: I really like to read old newspapers. I use them quite often in my research. So I wanted to read, to read you two of the headlines that I found working on this episode. Tacoma woman starved in sanitarium tells her story. In the presence of British Vice Consul Agaisis late uh, late yesterday afternoon, Miss Dorothy Williamson, sister of the woman whom Dr. Linda B. Hazard of Seattle, who was arrested Saturday, is alleged to have starved to death, made her first public statement in regard to her experiences in the Hazard Sanitarium. She declares that Dr. Hazard has a strange influence over her and her sister, and constantly used mental suggestion of suicide. She recounted in detail acts of alleged ill treatment and declared she was in such a state that she did not realize it when her sister died. Miss Williamson now weighs but 65 pounds, but is rapidly improving. British Consul Agizes uh, said today that there would be a sensational development at the trial of Dr. Hazard. Colt's new head, aged ninety-two. Applegate. L. D. Nichols, 92 years old, has been named the president of the Esoteric Fraternity, a religious cult with headquarters here. He succeeds the organization's founder, Hiram E. Butler, who died on November 3rd at the age of 75. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you're new, be sure to subscribe. Until next time.
1: You've been listening to Ricky's Historical Tidbits Podcast. When you go to school and study history, they give you dates, they give you some names, And that's about it. But there's a lot more to California history. And that's where this show comes in. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. And we hope you were entertained. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on Twitter and Instagram at Busy underscore Ricky. Find us on Facebook at Ricky's Historical Tidbits. Till next time, this is Ricky's Historical Tidbits Podcast. Signing off.